Let me put it this way. I, I, like, I like to think that God is real. I don't believe in God because the idea that an omniscient, loving being would judge me who is mortal and ignorant based on a few years' experience, I find to be rather a cruel thought. All the power that God has, he, she, it has given to me. So we're definitely one. I hope, I hope there's, there's something else out there. It'd be, it'd be fun to experience either that or we're all just evolved apes. Um, I was raised atheist. I don't believe in a higher power, but I also don't claim to know everything about the world. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there is one. I just pretend, I guess, and hope that there's something else out there. Good morning, RCC. Uh, my name is Ben Seaman. I serve on staff here as our lead minister. And as Andrew communicated, we're excited that you're here. If this is your first weekend with us, welcome. If you're watching online, please say hello. Let us know that you're here. You can also fill out our digital uh, Connect card online, and we can follow up with you as well. Uh, we just started last weekend a six-week teaching series called Explore God. We're asking six of, there are many more, but six of life's biggest questions. Now, before we jump into this question, I want to give you a little preview of what's uh, happening today and next Sunday. Uh, if you had signed up to go to the interest meeting for El Salvador, and you're like, wait a minute, that was last hour. Fear not. Um, our El Salvador team, the Martins, will be at our connection point. If you are still interested in going to El Salvador this summer, hook up with them at our connection point. We had 20 people show up uh, the first hour. So it's awesome. Yeah. Yes. Uh, also, next Sunday, we're asking the question, uh, is Christianity too narrow? Uh, because you've never heard Christians uh, as described as being judgmental and hypocrite, right? That's only, that's only in the Midwest. Um, a good friend of mine, Dr. John Weatherly, is the academic dean at Johnson University, and uh, he's going to come and preach next Sunday. Let me tell you something. If you have a friend or a family member that said, I would love to go to church, but it's just too judgmental. I don't know if I would fit. Man, next Sunday, I'm, I'm, I'm hooking you up, all right? Bring that friend. We will not embarrass you. Uh, Dr. Weatherly is going to do a phenomenal job of how beautiful that Jesus is and who he calls to follow him. Uh, but today we're going to talk about uh, what statistically at least, although you know statistics on the internet can be helpful or not, the number one question that um, uh, I won't say causes, but causes Christians in the church to leave the church, if not their faith, and people that aren't Christian uh, to not even touch the faith, let alone come to church. And here it is, right? Why does God allow uh, pain and suffering to happen, right? If God is good, why is there racism? Why is there sexism? Why is there war? Why is there violence? Uh, why do people get raped and abused and divorced and taken advantage of? If God is good, he is not a good God because there's a lot of pain and suffering in our world. Now, the first time I thought about that question, although I didn't know it then because I was 10, my family was having a holiday party. Uh, I don't know if it was Thanksgiving or Christmas, but there were a lot of people there, and it was hot, and it was a lot of people. But this was early 90s. I was born in 82, and so maybe this will tell you a little bit about my personality. In my home, only the adults were allowed to answer the phone, okay? 
If you're under 15, you're like, what are you talking about? I, text with, I talk with my thumbs. Yeah. There was a day we had to physically go to a telephone, pick it up. We were poor, so it wasn't until high school until we got an answering machine. And that was, that was a gift, right? And so my, um, I remember my family having this holiday party, and the phone rang, and my mom said, Ben, pick up the phone. I'm too busy. And I'm like, this is my moment. <laughs> I, I get to answer the phone. And so I pick up the phone, and it's my grandmother, my dad's mom, who lives, lived at the time about six houses down from us. We lived in a cul-de-sac, so one way in, one way out. And she said, Ben, is your, is your father home? I need to speak to Mike, her son. And uh, I said, sorry, Grandma, we ran out of something. Like, I'm 10. I don't, I don't keep track of what adults do. Uh, he's at the store. He'll, he'll be back. Can I have him call you back when he comes home? And she said, yeah, that would be great. About an hour later or so, the phone rings again. My dad's not home. So my mom says, I got this, okay? Send the varsity team in. She picks up the phone, and it's my dad uh, who's on the other end. And uh, he tells my mom that the reason why my uh, grandmother called is because my grandfather had a massive heart attack. And so when he came home, he saw the ambulances and threw his car into park and ran inside to see what was happening. And my, my father uh, told me that the last living moment that he had with my grandfather was he holding my grandfather's hand like this, being rushed into the operating room. And my grandfather told my father, Mike, don't let me die. That was the last thing my grandfather told my father. Now, uh, if you've been here a while, you, you, you know uh, my story, uh, and you know that I'm okay with uh, gray. And, and what I do for a living, I meet all kinds of people, all walks of life of people, which is an honor. I think Jesus did as well. Uh, but in that moment, it was like a scene out of the show, This Is Us, because my grandfather uh, would often use his hands to beat my dad as a child. Uh, I grew up in a long line of drunk German men who would beat their wives. This is before women had any rights or could speak or advocate for themselves. Uh, and uh, he would also beat my dad and my siblings, uh, his siblings, I mean. Um, and so in that moment, you had this weird thing going on, and that's, that's life, right? It's kind of gray. It's not always black and white. You don't always get an easy answer of a man who used to beat my father and cuss him out and yell at him when he was drunk. That's why my dad left at 18 and started uh, being uh, in construction and playing the drums and the bar scene at 18. And he's holding on to my dad's hand and says, don't let me die. I think um, the reason why this question is so important to us, whether you're a Christian or not, it's irrelevant. This question is important to you. Uh, is because pain is personal. It just is. Uh, this question, it doesn't matter if Jesus is God. It doesn't matter if Christianity is true. It doesn't matter if the resurrection happened. When this happens, all of what we know here and believe here can easily go out the window. Because you're talking about me. You're talking about my family. Uh, in my short 37 years of living, here's what I know about this question if you find out the reason why your spouse had an affair, if you find out the reason why that person um, was physically or sexually abusive towards you, if you find out the reason why you were neglected as a child all those years ago, like my father was, and in some ways myself growing up, 
cognitively knowing the answer to your pain doesn't alleviate your pain. I hate that. But it's true, isn't it? The answer is yes. Okay? Nudge your neighbor if they fell asleep. The, the answer is, is yes. Because pain is personal. That's what I came to say. And you're like, really? We're paying you to say that? But l- let me say it three different ways. Number one, pain, because pain is personal, it's really difficult to process. It's really difficult to process. And as um, a family member told me after the first service, we all process pain differently. And some of us shut down. Some of us get angry. Some of us um, have been made fun of by our family members for how we grieve. You should be over it by now. Why won't you get out of the house? Pain is really difficult to process. Um, We hear interesting phrases at funerals. Um, I have. I did at my first funeral uh, when my grandfather passed away. That other people are trying to be helpful, uh, but they turn out to hurt us. Um, Three of those phrases I want to share with you. The first one is, um, there's a reason for everything. Really? Like God wanted that five-year-old neighborhood neighborhood boy to run out in the street and get plowed over by a 17-year-old who was texting and driving at the same time. Uh, at the exact same time he hit that kid, the kid just wanted to get the soccer ball. He was just playing with his brother. Really? The problem with that statement, I think, is that it assumes that pain and suffering has questions that must be answered, or at least in this lifetime, um, versus learning how to live with our questions. The second thing I hear at funerals a lot is, um, well, you know, they're in a better place. Are they? Do you know that? Have you thought through heaven and hell and the afterlife? Uh, or are you just trying to comfort a loved one? Hey, look, I've, I've said these things. All right, I'm not coming down on you. Not, not judgment, just an observation. Uh, the problem with that is we don't really know sometimes if they're in a better place or not. We hope that they gave their life to the Lord before they passed. We hope that, but sometimes we don't, we don't know. And the third statement that I hear in funerals is uh, this idea of let go and let God. I, I, for me personally, the problem, and you may disagree, that, that's fine. This isn't scripture. Uh, I'm just telling you my experience. Uh, the problem with that is this teaches us to abstractly let go. Like I'm a very like black and white thinker. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, let go of what? Uh, to let go and just give it over to God. This statement is not only lazy, in my opinion, it's just not helpful because it also invites the idea that God doesn't want us to journey with him through our pain. And so we ask the question, why is there pain and suffering? And if we don't get the answer we were looking for, as if this question is meant to be answered, we walk away. Maybe you remember the tsunami that hit Southeast Asia. It's one of the worst natural disasters in human history. Uh, about 240 to 280,000 people died during it. Uh, and one reporter said this, if God is all-powerful and all-loving, he, he would have and should have stopped that from happening. I love when we tell God what he should do. Uh, he didn't, so he either could have and he didn't, or he couldn't have stopped it, even though in his love he really wanted to. You just can't have both. And that's, that's the beauty and the difficulty about my job. Everybody gets to have an opinion. And sometimes um, we say things that we mean or don't mean when we're suffering. 
I, I have heard this. Um, why couldn't God create a world where there wasn't like sexism, uh, there wasn't racism, everyone was treated equally, fairly, nobody raped anybody, nobody took advantage of anybody, nobody abused anybody, nobody got divorced, there was just peace and harmony. He did. It's in the book of Genesis. It's called the Garden of Eden. Uh, and the Bible books, book ends with a few image, images. We only have time for one. Uh, and one of those are trees. Um, not a stage design, a sermon prop. Um, the Bible begins a story about life under this tree and ends in Revelation with life under this tree. In Genesis chapter 1, um, or chapter, uh, chapter 1, Moses writes th- these words. Uh, God said, I gave you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky, all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath uh, of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. Man, talk about a Christmas morning. God saw that he uh, had made it, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. You can't recall a world like this, where uh, human intentions were good and pure. People, like you could trust people at their word, because language wasn't perverted yet. Nobody bullied anybody at school or on an app. Nobody cussed each other out. Nobody took advantage of people. Women were not objectified yet. People weren't defined by the color of their skin yet and told they were human or subhuman yet. Oh yes, God did create this perfect world. And then Adam and Eve, Adam really, not Eve, because he didn't lead his family well. Um, Adam decided to kind of go his own way. And because of that, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, uh, sin entered the picture, the Bible writes, and pain and suffering. And God asks this question, what have you done? Adam, <laughs> I gave you and your wife everything that you could want. What have you done? You, you didn't need anything. Adam, we, we, after you and Eve w- would eat, obviously a plant-based diet, we would go walk out in the cool of the evening. We'd catch up. And now you're afraid of the body I gave you and you're hiding and you're naked? What, what, have, you, what have you done? <laughs> hmm. It's a question we've been asking from the beginning of time. The Bible also ends with a tree. Uh, We will do a series in Revelation on the seven churches eventually, just not now. But in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is writing letters to different churches, and he's disciplining them, he's encouraging them, he's chastising them, calling them out, everything a good God would do for us. And he says something interesting to this church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, that I think only God would have the right to say. In Revelation chapter 2, he says this, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked 
people, Black Friday shoppers, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not yet and have found them false. You have persevered, you've endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. This is a church that suffers well. Not something that we think about as a positive in the American church. Jesus continues, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give, this is Jesus talking, the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So Jesus has this thing in his head. It got got him killed, actually, that he believed himself to be God. And if that is true, Jesus gave all humanity everything that was good, right, true, beautiful, poetic, artistic, for us to enjoy. And when we went our own way, it's easy to read God and think abstractly, Jesus sent Adam and Eve out from his presence. Because that's what they wanted anyways. That's what we want. Come on, don't, don't, don't be passive because you're in a church. We like to go our own way. And so Jesus asked us, what have you done? But there's this promise between Genesis and Revelation, between your birth and your death, that Jesus is the only God that says, if you follow me, I'll get you back into the garden. It's in a different place. It's called paradise. Uh, If you go to church, you probably heard it described as heaven. Same thing. I can get you back in. So what happens between life between both trees? It's difficult for us to process our pain because we don't grieve well. There's this really weird and I think just stupid and demonic idea that we have that men aren't allowed to cry, but I just don't get that. I think a Christless, a tearless Christianity is a Christless Christianity to steal a Tim Keller quote. But the Bible gives us a release valve for suffering. Big word. It's called lament. It's called lamenting. It's lamenting is, ca- is saying to God what is actually true in that moment, regardless if it makes you less Christian, if it makes you say bad words, if it makes you scream at him in violence. It's all part of the suffering process from one tree to the next. My buddy Scott Kenworthy is a, is a preacher at Owensboro Christian Church in Kentucky and uh, recently preached on Psalms and talking about lamenting, and he says this, This is how he describes it. It's just wicked beautiful. Bringing the ache of God's absence to God's attention. I'm done. I'm it. That's it. Let me read that again, okay? Lamenting is bringing the ache of God's absence to God's attention. God, this really sucks right now. I miss my son. I miss my daughter. I hate cancer. Why are my good friends going through a divorce? Why are so many babies left up for adoption and my friends can't get pregnant? Lamenting is bringing the ache of God's absence to God's attention because we trust him to do something about it. And if the world was created good and is heading towards goodness, It is right for us to mourn good's absence. 
It's a typo, not God's absence, but good's absence. And the Bible doesn't shy away from that, that we are living in the tension of what was, what will be, and we're just in the middle of not yet, and it is hard. If you came looking for an answer to this question, you might leave disappointed, but I will give you a process. The writer of Psalm 73 says it this way in how he laments, I am with you always. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you take me into glory. The word for heaven. Uh, whom I have in heaven but you. Like, like God, if, if all my friends and all my family were in heaven, but you weren't there, I don't want to go. That's a powerful statement. And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Friends, the process from one tree to the next, from the cradle to the grave, the process of our pain is to lament our pain, is to call it by its right name and to say, this isn't fair. The world isn't right. What have we done? Pain is personal because it's difficult to process, but it's also difficult to find its purpose. Not necessarily the why, but, but, but the what. Like, okay, my loved one died. My, my friend was creamed in a car wreck. Okay, n- now what? Because tomorrow I have to wake up and I have to deal with this. How do I process and find the purpose of my pain? The Bedessa family has been coming to RCC for uh, about a year or so, and uh, my wife and I, Crystal, took, her, took them out to lunch as we try to do with new, new people. So if you're like, I haven't done that yet, grab me after service. And uh, I, I got to listen to their story about their, their pain and their journey, and I was so, uh, I was in tears, really, uh, which is fun for the waitress to figure out what was going on, um, that, that I, a- I knew this series was coming, and I asked them if they would be willing to share a part of their story. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, because why wouldn't I be? Um, not everything is rosy with them. They're still struggling. They're, they're, they're still questioning. They're still in the tension of this reality between Genesis and Revelation. Uh, Here's their story. Hi, my name is Kim. I'm Chris. And we've been coming to RCC since January of this year. In 2015, we had a 20-month-old son, and we were pregnant with our second child. On a routine appointment, my son and I went to the doctors, and we found out that Rachel no no longer had a heartbeat. I was 37 weeks pregnant. And we were just getting ready to meet her, never expecting um, this tragic outcome. So immediately the questions that we had were, why was God allowed this? Why would he allow that suffering in our lives? What did we do? Um, we just didn't have those answers, and we, we wanted answers. So um, over time, we've decided to put that pain into purpose. And it's not answered necessarily the question of why, but we know goods come from that. Um, and that's how we honor our daughter. So we started uh, volunteering with the Cheers Foundation, and what we do is we raise money for families who 
unfortunately gone through the same type of loss that we have, um, and that money goes to help them with their burial and um, finances related to um, the loss of a loved one. Yeah, just a lot to sum up in just a short amount of time, but just a lot of feelings still being processed, a lot of questions left unanswered, um, anger and sadness, and just struggling to understand why um, we have turned the pain into purpose as it has uh, brought us closer together as a couple, has um, brought family closer to us as they've stepped up in big ways, uh, but still struggling uh, to process through those feelings and those questions as we feel questions from our kids and try to move day to day. Can we give them a hand for sharing their story? I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to lie, I stole that quote from them, because from them, uh, it's so beautiful that they're finding purpose in their pain. Um, and that's why I am grateful for uh, Christianity, because it gives us purpose in our pain, even if it doesn't give us an answer. Uh, Paul, in 2 Corinthians, begins to lay out sort of the, the how I get up the next day after I hear the news that made me drop the phone. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, he says, we, Christians, we do not lose hearts. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's a f- interesting two phrases that Paul uses here. He says, um, Jesus followers do not lose heart. And it is easy to lose heart, which I think is a beautiful way to say that, uh, when we are grieving. I don't care how much about the Bible you know. This is not a head thing. This is a heart thing. And when Paul says, do not lose heart, again, the original language is like a diamond. You've got to keep turning to see the different uh, facets of it. He's saying, we do not lose heart because we are not utterly spiritless. Right? We might say it this way. The call where my loved one wound up in the ER knocked the wind out of me, took my breath away. I am utterly spiritless. Another way to describe this phrase of loose heart is that we're just incredibly physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted because of our pain and suffering, the news that we just received about a loved one. And thirdly, this idea of loose heart also means when someone is worn out through fear. I just... If you're here this morning and you're not a Jesus follower, and you may disagree with this, um, I just love how honest the Bible is. Because that is my story. That is so many of your stories here at RCC. That pain and suffering knocks the wind out of us. Uh, It leaves us exhausted and not wanting to roll out of bed. But Paul says there is something that happens if we are willing to journey with Jesus, and I would say his local church, from the garden to paradise. Uh, Paul begins to describe this weight of glory 
being produced in us. And the word glory in Greek is doxa. It means um, uh, to have a weightiness or a purpose or meaningful, right? We would say like, whoa, that moment was awesome. But we also might say, well, that, that was a really um, meaningful wedding that I just experienced. It, there, there is a substance to it, right? Where I don't normally think about the afterlife or theological things in my day-to-day. I'm just, this is an illustration. Of course, I, of course I do every day, um, at least for me. But this moment here, this is causing me to pause and think about bigger things. Hebrews 1.3 says this, the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So if God had a social media platform, Jesus would be the profile picture. I know it's cheesy, but it's also theologically true. Sustaining all things by his powerful word, after he provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Okay, here's the only thing I want you to know about this. I'm gonna pretend that I like and know anything about science. God right, or let me say, that. Jesus is, is um, radiates God's glory. So there's this energy, kinetic energy going on up in the heavens that points to Jesus. Now, the reason why the writer can say that is because the writer believes that Jesus is God. A Christian is not the radiance of God's glory, because that means they are saying they are equal with Jesus and they are God themselves. Christians, hang with me, all right? This big series, a lot of heady stuff here, but hang with me, okay? Lunch is right around the corner. Christians are not the radiance of God's glory. We are the reflection of God's glory. And so when we, it's an interesting way to say this, right? When we suffer well, not that there's a scorecard, but when we suffer well, There's a weight that Jesus is putting in us, a glory, a meaning, and a purpose that though we are wasting away outwardly, meaning we're getting older, there is something being produced in us that will explode our affections towards Jesus when we see him in heaven. You ever like people watch at an airport? The longer two people are apart, the greater the embrace, right? That's kind of what he's getting at here. And so when we suffer well, and that's abstract, right? Ten, you suffer well, 10 points. Um, when we suffer well, the idea is that people will see Jesus in our reflection, and catch this, do not miss this. this for me, This is why Christianity makes the most sense in in the question of pain and suffering. When people see us suffering, they should see a reflection of Jesus. And because Jesus is God, according to himself in the Bible, that points people to something of the goodness of a father, even in the midst of their pain. Wow. (laughs) That's a lot better than an answer. We get a process. We get a purpose. We get to lament. And we get to, through following Jesus, somehow make sense of our suffering. The purpose of our pain, friends, I'm going to skip First Peter. The purpose of our pain is to attach ourselves to Jesus so that 
a weight of significance can be produced in us that will grow our affections towards Jesus, point others to Jesus, and help us realize the incredible goodness of our Heavenly Father. And I see that with the Bedesta family, right? Putting their energy in a beautiful nonprofit that helps moms and dads um, be loved in a time when they're hurting the most. Uh, thirdly and finally, um, because our pain is personal, God personally deals with our pain. Um, if you want a bit of a headier read, uh, there's a book written by N.T. Wright called Evil and the Justice of God. And in that book, he says this, what the gospel offers us is not a philosophical explanation of evil, what it is or why it's there. So the Bible even isn't even set up to answer this question today, Right? Bummer. Actually, no, it's a relief. Nor a set of suggestions of how we might adjust our lifestyle so that evil will just, you know, mysteriously disappear like a bad cold from the world, but the story of an event in which the living God deals with it. And the event that God deals with sin, suffering, pain is the crucifixion. Actually, in Isaiah 53, the writer says, He. Jesus was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor any deceit was in his mouth. It was almost like he came from the garden, right? Yet it was the Lord's will to crush Jesus and cause him to suffer. Let me read that again. It was the Father's will to crush Jesus and to make him suffer. I love you, but depending on how well you know me, you may or may not trust that. If the father does not crush his son, we're next in line. If the Bible's telling the truth. If God does not cause his son, to experience pain and suffering, the very question we're asking today, we're never getting out of the garden. There is no hope <laughs> for reentry into heaven. But Jesus took care of our pain and our sin, things we've done, things that have been done to us. And in Romans 6.23, Paul so beautifully says this, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, in Christ Jesus, uh, our Lord. Um, we, right now, like literally above us, we're doing a Financial Peace University class. And I hear, I'm not there yet, we're working there, my wife and I, I hear when you pay off your debt, you can fly to Nashville and scream, we're debt free, right? Why? You get to scream, we're debt free, when the creditors have no power over you. Right? That, that monthly payment stops coming. If you are not a Jesus follower, your debt has not been paid. You've not acknowledged Jesus as the one who made that payment for you. That's what I should say. You still have to pay up. But the beauty of the gospel is Jesus did it for you on your behalf. And so if you're a Jesus follower this morning, you can scream, maybe not now, I'm debt-free because Jesus took 
care of all the creditors. He conquered sin and death, demonic influences, the power of sin and and shame and, and struggle and fear. He took it all on the cross and alleviates of that, us of that, of our pain and suffering in this life, which is why the writer can say in Revelation 21, and I'll end with this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, kind of language for heaven, coming down out of the heavens from God, prepared as a bride, talking about us, the church, beautifully dressed for her husband. Right? We're being presented, after all the paintings, we're being presented to be with our, our groom, Jesus. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, not a building. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, this is the promise. We don't know if this is true yet, because we're not here but we're going to trust Jesus. If, if we trust Jesus at his word with the cross and the resurrection, we can trust Jesus here, right? Every, uh, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. They will, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things, sin and death, and for the love of God, religion that keeps a lot of good people good, but not knowing Jesus, it will be completely vanquished because of the, the, the finished work of the cross and the resurrection. So my friends, take heart. Lament through the process of your pain. Grow your affection towards Jesus as you discover the purpose of your pain. Because pain is personal, God personally has dealt with your pain and sin. And that's good news. So let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for uh, not necessarily an answer to why there is pain and suffering, although I'm sure that there is, but we thank you for the journey that you're willing to walk us through, uh, at least from the garden to to heaven. And uh, there's a lot of stuff when we um, suffer that we're vulnerable towards. And so we're we're just going to say we trust you that you created this world that we're in called life. And then at the end of the story, We trust that what you said was true and that you have the keys to gain us re-entry to what the Father wanted us to enjoy all along. God, I hate that this question keeps so many people from you. So personal. But we thank you that you personally dealt with it on the cross. I I pray that whoever comes here or is invited here, that they would learn through the love of this community how to live with their questions. That they don't have to be alone in their suffering. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.